Hi, welcome to Stalwarts of Music with Aditya Veera, Season 2. This show is powered by Perpetual Buzz Experiences. They are an artist representation company with three very basic but lofty goals. They are a launchpad for indie musicians, helping them leverage success in the best possible manner. They also help generate funding for social causes and make sure that people have a good time throughout the process. Be sure to check them out on www.perpetualbuzz.com. Speaking of two of my distinguished guests today, the first one being a guitar virtuoso, he absolutely needs no introduction. He is none other than Paul Gilbert. He is one of the most prolific guitar players of all time. He's played with the band Mr. Big and also played for the supergroup Razor X. He released several albums and he launched his solo career in 1996 for which he also put in a lot of effort in terms of solo albums and has had numerous collaborations and guest appearances with musicians from across the world. He was voted fourth best on Guitar One magazine for being one among the top 10 greatest guitar shredders of all time. He was also ranked in Guitar World's 2008 list of 50 fastest guitarists of all time. And I'd especially like to introduce my very special guest, who is none other than India's very own Mohini De. She's described as the most successful musician by Under 30 list of Forbes India magazine. She's been working professionally in the music industry for the past 18 years. She's worked with artists like A.R. Rahman, Zakir Hussain, Quincy Jones, Louie Banks, Ranjit Barot, Pliny, and many more. She's worked for companies such as MTV India, Levi's, Titan, Bacardi, and a lot more. She's done a tour with the biggest Japanese band of all time called BZs. She's also played on over 60 movies and albums worldwide. So without any further ado, I'm delighted to welcome my guests, Paul Gilbert and my special guest, Mohini De, who will be joining in for a very special segment. Hi, Paul. Namaste. How are you? Which part of the world are you in right now? I'm in Portland, Oregon. And how are you? Very well. Couldn't be happier. That's good news. <laughs> so let's get started with our agenda for today. I have a couple of very interesting questions coming your way. Okay. What are some of the first experiences in your life that made you consider the endless possibilities music could offer you? Well, my parents had a really good record collection. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I, was, I was born in 1966, so... You know, the main way that you listen to recorded music then was was vinyl. Uh -huh. And uh, they had most of the Beatles albums on vinyl and uh, Rolling Stones and The Who and The Animals, a lot of 60s rock and pop. And uh, they also had classical music. Oh, wow. It was a, a lot of Bach and Mozart, Beethoven, that's that sort of thing. And blues. My dad also really liked, um, he had albums by um, uh, Muddy Waters. John Lee Hooker, B.B. King. Mm -hmm. So, and so uh, you know, I, my parents would play the records and I'd hear it. And also also my uncle 
this really good guitar player and he he encouraged me to listen to Jimi hendrix and david bowie and and punk bands like the ramones and the and so um the and the mc5 and iggy and the stooges so it was really in the in the family and then of course on the radio and on tv there was music as well i see, from whatever you've said right now uh from what i can gauge music has been running in the blood right uh your entire yeah, family well, has been into this yeah my, uh, my my uncle was was really it really influential because i didn't see him that often because he didn't live close by but when he would visit he he had a little guitar around the house i couldn't play it and he'd pick it up and he would get music out of it and he also just had a really good touch and to be able to see that close up was um it it really let me know like what it's supposed to happen because yeah. I, I had a guitar teacher later on, and my guitar teacher had a lot of knowledge. You know, he knew what scales were and what chords, and, and he could play fairly well. But my uncle, like, had had more of the real rock feel. It was more of the feel part of it, and that was hard a hard thing to explain. But when I watched my uncle up close, I'd be like, "Oh, it's supposed to sound like sound like that," and that that was really helpful to be able to see that so so close up. Uh, if I were to ask you. Uh... Do you need to have music running in the blood to make music or to learn music? I don't think so. I mean, I, I've got a, f- a friend of mine uh, that I've worked with a bunch on different albums. His name is Linus of Hollywood. And I've talked to him about that. And, and he said, like, nobody in his family was musical at all. Okay. And uh, and they also were really not supportive about him being a musician. <laughs> Oh, no. But he loved it, and so he, you know, he was in, you know, spent all his time learning how to play and, and listening to music. And he, you know, he's a professional musician, so it, uh, you know, it only takes one exception to prove the rule. You know, is is not uh, not a rule. Right. Let's talk about this aspect of composition. Uh, I'd like to know as to what prompts you to write music based on a particular theme. What becomes the impetus and the catalyst? I'm sure you're a prolific uh, composer and a guitar player. Uh, you've made more than a dozen solo albums and been part of several many incredible bands that include the likes of Razor X, Mr. Big, and many more. You've also had several guest appearances in different parts of the world. You're making music and playing your instrument all the time, which is primarily the guitar. So is there a gestation period? Do you have time to think about the music you are putting out? You know, since you're constantly doing this back to back, you know? Well, it's it's a combination of inspiration where you know, you're not even trying to make music and just a melody pops into your head. Uh, and combination between that, which is sort of lucky when that happens, and also the the craft, you mm-hmm. know, where you where you you might have a, something that you can develop, and you learn how to take this basic small idea, uh-huh. and and to expand it out into a, into a whole song and and uh, and build it. So, in in, in a way, it's it's almost a, a way of looking at the way the human brain works, mm-hmm. where you know you can you've got like the the front part of your brain that's that's analytical and and is good at math you can think about things but there's also part that's just sort of like an instinct where you suddenly get an emotion or or an idea and you don't even know where it came from but you know the the, the brain is complicated so you, you you have to be able to use both those tools together 
and uh, you know, and, and, until it's finished. The more you do it, the better you get. So. Uh, you did you did mention about the aspect of the human brain, uh, which kind of uh, brought me to this follow up question. Do you mean to say that you're a musician who is more cerebral to his approach towards music than emo- than being emotional? I, I think um, I just try everything. <laughs> so, you know, it, it, you're, you're just, um, it, it's funny. So sometimes the, the, the metaphor I think of is like, it's like fighting a bear. Like when you're fighting a bear, you know, you're going to lose, <laughs> but, <laughs> but you still try to stay alive. It's, so to, to, to me, like, you know, the music, music, I love it, but it's also, you know, you're never going to win. <laughs> so you just do your best. And you, if you survive, you're like, whoa, I, you know, I, I lived another day. Uh, I, I don't know. That's, that's, that's kind of a metaphor that makes me laugh. But, uh, you know, that, that's a good question. And I, I just, I use both. I, I'm very aware that there are, are times when I'll, I'll be very emotional and I will get music out of it that I wouldn't have gotten any other way. Mm-hmm. But, if I didn't have the cerebral part, you know, I wouldn't be able to, to develop it. You know, it, it, sure. so, you know, you really, it's really help, handy. It's really helpful to have both those tools. Correct. Uh, beyond the skin of uh, being an incredible guitar player and the music educator, do you ever experience a sense of longing or wanting to reach out to something beyond other than where you are and what you're doing? What is that sort of aspiration that you have for yourself? Well, I've been, you know, had a musical career since I was probably 19. Mm-hmm. So it's been decades. And and so my, my my dreams and expectations about my place in the business, you know, I've had a chance to get a sense of of where I fit. Uh-huh. You know, what can I what what you know, what size of audience I can expect, you know, what what kind of reaction. So the you know, after been doing it for so long, I don't really expect to be surprised. You know, I probably am not going to win a Grammy, you know, whatever, whatever I, <laughs> what are the sort of things I do, you know, Grammy people don't, aren't interested in that. But guitar players are really interested in what I do. And that, that's fine. You know, I, I, I love the audience I have. And uh, yeah, so, so that, that's the thing, just, it, just because I've been doing it a long time. It's like, oh, this is the kind of people that like what I do. I like them too. So it's it's a nice yeah. relationship. I think you, I think your music is way beyond a Grammy. So uh, we're <laughs> I never talking. liked the Grammy. When when I was a kid, I'd watch the Grammys and just go like, oh, "These people won." I'm not. Yeah, I'm not into that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I think you're way beyond all of that. Uh, I have a tech tech question. Since uh, you love those, why did you switch from the twenty five point five inch scale length? on your old uh, Ibanez PGM model guitar to the 24.75-inch scale length on the Ibanez Fireman signature guitar? Was it because of the change in tone or was it because of the you like the feel of loser, loser strings? Well, you know, it's funny. For the longest time, I didn't even know what scale length was. Okay. Like, when I was, when I was a kid, I had no idea. That, that that like a strat was different than a les paul and for a long time after that i didn't know either i mean i i think when the 
when when I designed the fireman, you know, I just I just like the body shape, and I and I, th I think I had asked because I've, I've been as guys when they were building it. They said, well, "What what what style of neck do you want?" And uh, I, I'm of course like any guitar player, I have my guitar heroes. One of my heroes is Pat Travers, and he was famous for playing a Gibson oh, wow. Melody Maker for yeah. playing a Gibson Melody Maker. And so I I had bought a Melody Maker just you know just to see if, if I could play like Pat Travers, just as an experiment. And I and I liked the neck, and I said, "Well, how about like that Melody Maker sort of you know neck kind of like that one?" Right. And so I didn't even ask them. I didn't know about the scale length. I just you knew it was like you know kind of like that Pat Travers guitar. And uh, later on. I learned like, oh, they're actually different lengths. And so when, when I was designing it, I, I actually had no idea that there was any difference. It was, it was just very, I could just tell there was something different about this neck that I, that was, you know, was kind of cool, but I didn't know what it was. But now that I know, uh, I like them both. I mean, it's not, I've, I've got pretty big hands. So I usually I can, you know, I can play on either one and it's fine. Um, would say that the, you know, I, I do a lot of bending, and also I, I do like to do licks where I stretch a lot. So that's those things are a little bit easier to do on a sort of scale. Right. But I also, you know, I, I just one of my new cars uh, I've been playing a lot is this this new PGM, and it's got you know twenty five and a half, and I like it too. So I think mostly I just like to have a big guitar collection so I can try out different stuff and you know whatever I whatever seems inspiring at the time. I can use so there's not like one perfect thing I want to use forever. I actually, you know, I, I like to, you know, have have a, a choice. Incredible. Uh, you know, when it comes to your professional life, I'm sure there has been sort of an internal logic or a strategy to the unfolding of your life, right? So, could you throw some light on that? So, an, a, a logic of, of of what again? Of the unfolding of your life, of my like, life. Uh huh. <laughs> I think, um, like when when I think about my whole life, sometimes I think about things where I've really changed my mind about something. Because that, to me, that's kind of interesting. Like, like certain things, I have it. Like when I was a kid, I loved the Beatles. Now I still love the Beatles. Like that has that hasn't changed. Constant. But I th I think the the biggest change where I re really feel different than I did before was about having kids. Okay. Because when I when I was younger, I really didn't want to have kids. I was like, I, I want to have a music career. I don't think that's going to work if I have kids because I'm going to be traveling a lot. You know, I'm going to be too busy. You know, and and I was just uh, you know any situation where i might have kids and be like ah oh, i'm really scared of that i really you know really tried hard not to have kids okay and then i, I got you know i got married and now i have my wife really wanted to have a, a child so we did and i the whole time i'm like oh i don't know about this you know <laughs> and then my child was born mm -hmm. and immediately I, I i loved him okay and and it's been you know it's, there, there have been a lot of challenges it takes it takes time and and work and you know, nothing not everything's easy, but I completely love my, my son and I and I, I wish uh, you know I, I, I wish I had studied earlier and it had more, you know. So so <laughs> that, that, that that's something where I, I, I think that's that's sort of an interesting question for anybody, especially as they get older, is like what did you learn 
where you were wrong or where you changed your mind. Yeah. And, and yeah. you know, that, that, that to me was the biggest thing where I went like, my, my thoughts and my feelings on that are so different than when up, up until I really had, until I had, until I became a father. Lovely, lovely, lovely relation. I, I'm sure it's, it's a, it's a very rare bond, right? Father and a son together. And I, I I'm sure uh, there must be another great musician in the making. <laughs> he doesn't he he I, I i'm teaching him to strum uh-huh. but but i can only do it by by bribing him with toys <laughs> you know he, he did purely as music he he is not interested he wants to be a magician <laughs> we'll see we'll see what unfolds in the next couple yeah. of years exactly he's eight so it's time for change yeah yeah so speaking of the divine force uh what form and shape does your belief in the divine take? And is there a practice that is associated with it? Oh, well, I mean, I, I wasn't brought up with any kind of, you know, belief in that department. Okay. But certainly there are unanswered questions and mysterious things that happen. Uh-huh. And I think... Um, That the, 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 what what happens sometimes is when you talk about that stuff, it's easy to to start dividing people. And you go, like, "Oh, I believe this. Oh, I believe something different." And then suddenly, you can't be friends with people that you would <laughs> normally really be good friends with. Yeah. And so that's I, that's kind of what I don't. That I think that's one thing that I love about music uh-huh. is that through music, I've I've been given the opportunity to connect. To different people all over the world and uh it's so it's it's so easily connects people and uh i mean i suppose you know if somebody doesn't like that kind of music you can, maybe that could cause a division like ah oh, i can't stand rock and roll or whatever it is but in, in general i really feel music is a connecting force and uh and music is very mysterious uh-huh. i don't i don't know if anybody can explain I mean, I've seen like, you know, Leonard Bernstein, the classical conductor, has a great series where he talks about like the mathematics of music and sort of gets into like theories of why it might resonate with with, with us humans. But it's that's not really a satisfying answer. You know, it, it's one of those things where you just you go like, well, I can feel it. So I believe it. And uh, you know, so, so to me, that that's what I have the most experience with. You know, you know, I I can hear hear music. I feel it. I don't know why, <laughs> but but I but it's a very uh, a very real feeling, and it very you know it, that that's uh, so that that that's what I, where I spend the most time. I think you're the chosen one. <laughs> well, uh, who who knows? I mean, that, that that's hard to say. Um, but at least from the music, that's what uh, I feel. <laughs> yeah, incredible. Uh, you've had great success in Japan on multiple occasions during your time with Razor X and your time with Mr. Big. So what are the elements of Paul Gilbert, the human being that feels bonded and connected to Japan? Well, I I didn't really choose Japan. Japan sort of chose me. Because um, we were we were with Mr. Big, we were touring everywhere. You know, we we started off touring in, in the in America. And when we went to Japan, suddenly the audience was bigger and the audience was 
more excited to hear our music. And we were surprised, like, wow, you know, because we, we were playing the same show that we did in America, but the response was was so much, so much bigger. Right. So, you know, we we just kept going, and uh, you know, it's it's it was it was just a nice surprise, and just certainly, you know, especially when when to be with you, the the single started to be successful. That opened up. Uh, we started going to Southeast Asia, Indonesia, and and uh, Taiwan, Thailand, Philippines, uh, and and those places became really really big for us as well. And we still, you know, South America and Europe, all you know, went to all those places. So, but you know, it's it's something that I've I've never been able to explain it. You know, because I, 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 it's it's not me that that did it. <laughs> it was, <laughs> it's it's it, you know, this is. Talking about you know people's response to what I do, and that I I don't I just do what I do. So. Fair enough, fair enough. You had a very long and distinguished career, and still on the road uh, as as a performer, uh, music educator, and I'm sure you engage with a lot of students in the process. So, what are some of the joys or the gratifications or whatever word you'd like to use uh, in terms of some of the most intense moments in your life? Oh, let's see. Well, first thing that comes to mind is when uh, when there's a change of some kind, or or when you're you know you you get excited because you see a change coming up. And so I always remember, you know, because obviously when when I started, you know, I, I wasn't born a famous musician, so so, so those those steps uh-huh. along the way, um, I, I always remember in, in Racer X was my first kind of successful band that. Correct. made albums uh the first time we played we we that we played a club and we sold it out wow that was one of the best moments of my whole career because we uh we didn't know you know we we, we thought does anybody kind of come to see us you know and we, we were really trying to promote the show and we, we 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 none of us had very much money and we we put all our money into like that trying to promote and we thought if nobody comes to the show I don't know how we're going to pay the rent because we spent all the money. <laughs> and and I remember just showing up at the club and it was so packed that I could barely get in, you know, and, and just going like, Ooh, you know, first of all, I, I, I'll be able to pay the rent this month. <laughs> and, and second of all, this is just like, it, it seems like there's a, like, I have a chance. Like this might mean that I have a chance to, to have a career as a musician. So that was one of the best, like the first time Razor X sold out the Troubadour was, was incredible. Very inspiring. It just gives me goosebumps listening to all of this from you, real time. <laughs> and, I like uh, you. Yeah, and, and oh, go ahead. No, no, please, please, please oh. go on. Well, you just you mentioned teaching, and then that, that was something that was really unexpected. Uh huh. Because uh, you know, I, I did, I did have a goal of like, okay, I'm going to be in a band. I'm, I'm going to do concerts and albums, and that mm-hmm. was a, a goal that I was, you know, aiming towards. Okay. I never thought like, okay, I'm going to teach and do a lot of, you know be a teacher i just never did any preparation for that at all but people you know i remember even when i was a teenager you know i'd, I'd play a club you know with my band and people would come up afterwards and they'd be dude do you give lessons you know <laughs> can i take a lesson from you and i never i thought thought okay well you know ten dollars i don't know you know and and so even when i was a teenager i started teaching and then you know later on it was a good way to make a little extra money and and right. i enjoyed it 
And, uh, you know, now it's one of the main things I do. I have an online school and it's, uh, it's a way to kind of take apart music, you know, connect with people and it, uh, and, and try to, and, you know, every time a student has a problem, mm -hmm. you know, the, every musician has the same problems. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it, I, I may have solved some of them, but it, it, to open that problem up again and look at it, you, you, you always learn something from, from that, from that process of going, okay, well, this is the, the you know, whether it's a, a problem of listening or a problem of playing or, or a problem of, you know, how, how to write songs or whatever it is, when you go in and you, and, and you repair it or, or dig deeper, you always get something out of it. So I, I, I've learned so much from, from that process. Marvelous. You didn't mention about uh, To Be With You. As you rightly mentioned, it was a massive hit in the sense that it was going nuclear on all the musical charts in terms of success. And this might be a little bit of a personal question, but later you had to leave the band a couple of years later. So do you feel that you could have done something in order to safeguard the interest of the band? Did you ever feel that the band would have taken a different roadmap if all of you had stayed together as the original lineup? I, I never really thought of it. Um, I mean, we got back together, yeah, as the original lineup later. So, correct. In a, in a way that it, it just, you know, we just there was a, a break period, and then and then we were back together. Um, I think I, I thought about that more with Racer X. Okay. Because we, with Mr. Big, we were together for about eight years before we broke up or before I left. Uh -huh. um, with with Racer X. We only did two studio albums, and then I and then we did a live album, but it was mostly the same yeah. songs. Yeah, and uh, and then I left to to join Mr. Big. So like Racer X was the band. I always felt like, oh, I wish you know, if I had stayed longer, I wonder what that could have been. Because uh -huh. we actually had written a lot of songs that we didn't never recorded, and but also with Racer X, we got back together in like late nineties, yeah, and did a couple albums, and we were able to do a lot of those songs that I'd been thinking about. So within, in both situations, we were able to get back together and do it again. So that, that was, I was happy we could do that. Very, very diplomatic answer. <laughs> well, it's true. You know. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to get back in the sense from another view to the same question as to what is that that most passionately moves you, stirs you, drives you internally uh, within yourself beyond the technical virtuosity, the showmanship, the incredible musician that you are. So what is it that you feel most moved about when you see or hear or what are some of the passionate concerns that impacts the deep recesses of your being? Well, there's, uh, there's something that I call the inner melodic generator. Uh-huh. Which is basically being able to hear music in your head. Okay. And uh, it's that's the thing that I had before I ever played an instrument. You know, I would hear music in my head, and I, I didn't know how to play the guitar yet. And that was my goal. I thought, oh, I somehow have to get this musical idea and get it to happen on, on my guitar. And then, you know, when you learn an instrument, of, of course... You know, there are there's like certain things that you're supposed to learn. You learn the chords and the scales, yeah. and you you learn cover songs. And I'm glad I learned all those things, but in the process, I kind of forgot 
about my original goal of of connecting to the inner melodic generator. Okay. And so, you know, decade, I mean, I, I don't think I forgot a hundred percent, but basically what happens like, you know, with, with shred guitar, you, you train your fingers to, to do these amazing things. And like when you improvise, you just sort of let your fingers run free, you know, and they, and they know where they're going, you know, because you practice a lot. So you're hitting, hitting the correct notes and you're, you're, you have good technique and good music comes out. But most of it is sort of, like a, a, a like good habits that you've built and you get this fiery stuff and it, I, I, I like it you know it has a good sound but it's not really melodic you know you're not doing melodies Correct. and you know so I, I did that for decades and then suddenly i realized that when it came to playing melodies i really wasn't good at it like i i had melodies in my head but i couldn't play them easily on guitar and it was kind of embarrassing <laughs> i was you know, I remember I was at a, a Christmas party, and there was a guitar there, and and I tried to play Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer, which is you know <laughs> really popular, yeah, yeah. simple melody, and I tried to play it, and I and I messed it up, and I thought I'm I'm I have a reputation of being a good guitar player, and I can't play Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer. This is so embarrassing, and of course you know if I had five minutes I could work it out, but. I, I thought I shouldn't need five minutes. Yeah. You know, I, I, I should be able, if I hear it, I should be able to play it. And, but it's a different skill set. It's a different way of knowing the instrument. And so actually since that time, that's been a, something I've really worked on. And, and since I've worked on it, I've gotten better at it. And now, you know, I'm, 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 I, I plan on still getting better at it, but I'm at the point where I'm, I'm pretty good at it now. And so now when I do that, when I have something in my head and I play it perfectly the first time, in real time, like I, as I'm inventing it, my, my guitar is playing the same thing. <laughs> that, that kind of improvisation yeah. feels so good and is yeah. so satisfying. And uh, th that, that's the answer. It's, it's like when, when my inner melodic generator can speak with no delay, no one, I don't have to stop and practice or work it out. I can just play what I hear. That's a different kind of improvising than letting my fingers run three, run, run free with the fingering patterns that I know. And, and I like both things still. I haven't given up because you, you can't, you know, for the fast stuff, you, it's, it's, it's faster than you can hear sometimes. Yeah. But, but that, that balance of both to be able to play, you know, a really convincing melody that's honest and is what you really heard. And then it'd be able to set the you know set the place on fire with some fast stuff. I love both those elements. I wouldn't want to lose either one, but the 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 one that in a way seems simpler to me to me that it it, it took a lot of work to develop that because it's just I never did. I'm sure it's it's a, it's a great deal of practice. Uh, you know, uh, of course, like staying focused and uh, something beyond. Just the virtuosity, like you rightly mentioned, it, it, it takes well, it, a lot. It's its, own, it's it's its own kind of virtuosity. Yeah, yeah. Because it's it's you know for for, for me playing a a, um, a melody with all the the small details uh -huh. that bring it to life. 
Correct. Because it's more than just the notes and the rhythm. There's all the all the the, the contrasts yeah, yeah. of of that of you know the the of volume and the contrast of of how long the note is and the texture uh-huh. and you know the, all those differences that you can produce. Those bring the melody to life, and to to be in control of those is you know is is really you have to be a virtuoso in in your in, sure. in its own way. You know that's that's just as demanding as as all the fast stuff. Correct. So let's let's talk a little bit about the new release, Holy Diver. It made me think oh. of Dio, right? Dio because of the Holy Diver song name. Is that well, any it is refer- a Dio song? It's a, it's a cover. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. Why well, I I did um I did a whole uh <laughs> I don't know when this the interview is going to come out like later this later this month, right? Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Th- then I can tell you that I, I think tomorrow is the official announcement. Correct. Um, the, basically, I I did a an album of all Dio songs. Yeah, and the album is called the Dio album. Oh wow! Yeah, and uh, it. Uh, oh, and I think I've got the cover. Marvelous! <laughs> <laughs> lovely, lovely. Yeah, so that's the that's the Dio album and uh, Holy Divers' first single. Correct. But I did. Uh, I think I did twelve uh, Ronnie James Dio songs. I mean, it's it's a mix of of solo Dio uh-huh. and and Black Sabbath and Rainbow. Obviously. And uh, it uh, I'm I'm playing all the vocal lines on guitar. Oh, okay. So so uh, and of course I'm playing the guitar parts on guitar, and I played the bass, and then I hired a uh, you know a great drummer to play drums, and. Man, it was fun. I just I, I love that music and and to and to be able to play both the guitar. Well, actually, the bass was so much fun too. But I just just had a blast recording it. I can't wait uh, for us to have like an album review uh, in India once it's out. Yeah. So be sure to hit me up. It. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, are you are you a spiritual person? Does spirituality play any role in your music? Well, it's it's funny. That's a word. That I think means different things to different people, mm-hmm. and because of that, I don't really know what it means. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, there might be some people like, "Oh yeah, I, I know exactly," but um, I'm trying to think. I, I guess what it means is that, is that during during the during the day, when I'm just you know talking to you or or cooking dinner or or you know doing the laundry or whatever. There's a certain, like a c- certain way that I'm perceiving, you know, that I'm that I'm thinking a certain like kind of level of excitement. That's just sort of you know your normal going about your day. And then there's other moments uh-huh. where you feel different, yeah. where, where where everything sort of changes in the way you're you're perceiving things, mm-hmm. and that happens most often most often with with music. Correct. Uh, you know, it can happen with your relationship with someone else too, or 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 something you know out of the ordinary happens. Yeah. But uh, to me, like, actually, when when I'm when I'm teaching, because that's probably where I spend the most time these days. I do a lot of teaching, and uh, I'll be, I'll be. Every time I teach, I always use a musical example. Okay. I'll take like a short phrase, maybe two bars, uh-huh. and I'll just play it over and over again to 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 to, sort of demonstrate, to get it in the ear of the student because to me that's the first step is like listening 
Yes. And I don't write any, you know, all, none of my lessons are written down. It's not about sight reading. It's about, you know, listening to what it sounds like and, and feeling the, 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 the energy of the music. And so when I, when I do that, I, I really try to get deep into it. And I'm hardly ever looking, you know, my eyes are closed and I, and, and of course it's, it's music and guitar. So it's something that I've been attached to for, for decades. And that, that takes me to a place that feels different. So I don't know if that is, I don't know if spirituality is the right word, Correct. but th that, that to me is, feels the most different than when I'm doing the laundry or washing the dishes. Uh, this conversation is just going to get better uh, because I'm planning to invite my special guest. Uh, I couldn't think of a better name than Mohini De, who's our special guest for today. So she's been professionally working in the music industry since the age of nine and wow. has toured all over the globe under her own name. And she's collaborated with Steve Vai, Guthrie Govan, Simon Phillips, Marco Miniman, Dave Weckel, Mike Stern. Mr. A.R. Rahman from India. So she mentioned that she was introduced to you at the Sweetwater headquarters at Indiana while she was oh, rehearsing right. for the cruise to the Edge alongside Randy Mekstein and Nick and Marco. So let's yeah, right find on. out more from the incredible Mohini Day herself. Hello. Hi. That is a cool chair. Thank you. It's a gamer's chair, actually. I love uh, playing shooting games sometimes. <laughs> i got to get a chair like that. That's fantastic. How are you today? I'm doing good. What, 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 are, you, what are you working on in the world of music? Uh, so today we recorded five songs. Oh, my for goodness. For our upcoming album. That's fantastic. Yeah. And uh, so I had a long day. But I'm really happy to be talking to you. Um, I don't know if you remember, but we met the very first time at Sweet well, Sweetwater when Marco Miniman introduced us. Um, I remember. And you were doing some master class, I think. Something like that, or recording thing, or both. Something like that. Yeah, and I was rehearsing with Nick D. Virgilio and Randy McStein and Marco for Cruise to the Edge. Right on. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm so happy to be a part of this uh, interview. Thanks for inviting me, Aditya. Likewise. likewise. Well, 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 who gets pleasure. to ask the questions? I've, I've got some, but I'm not, the, I'm not the I main guess. guy. Well, I guess I have some questions, too. So we'll all okay. ask questions to each other. I'll let you go first. Oh, <laughs> putting me on the hot <laughs> spot there. <laughs> I'm sorry, what's okay, the question Aditya, again? So... Take it away, take it away. <laughs> there is no question, Aditya. Oh, you want me to ask? Yeah, I thought yeah. you have something. No, take before. it away. It's, it's, it's okay. Yours. Let's yeah. see. Let's let's start a little light because this is the first time we're actually getting into a conversation. So, Good. what is the uh, most ridiculous um, piece of gear that you own at the moment? Well, the newest one. Let me find it. Liquid tape. <laughs> Liquid tape. It's it's really smelly, and it's really <laughs> ugly. It's really ugly too, and you you can you brush it on to to a pick, 
Okay. And, and that way it's, it's much easier to hold it because there's like it's it's sort of like a rubber and and then it like it um it won't slip out of your hand. Does it grip and well? Is, is it, you can it grip you nice grip it more grip? easily and it and it yeah, also makes okay. a little 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 cushion. So I've been oh, doing Oh, cool. That's uh, fun. Yeah. So I've been doing experiments with like how many coats, you know, and and one coat is fine. But it's um That's amazing. It's too bad cuz like because because my picks I always like make custom ones with printing and they look really I think they look cool and this just like yeah. goes right over glops over it looks horrible it, it smells like toxic <laughs> waste but I play better <laughs> that's that, well, that's the main thing that's the goal right <laughs> playing yeah. better every day that's yeah. the goal uh well if How I can you? show you my ridiculous piece of gear this yeah. is the one um this is Whoops, whoops. Well, oh. that was not good. <laughs> Hold it. Hold it. I'll be back. Hold it. <laughs> there we go. So it happens when you pick when you pick up a ridiculously heavy piece of gear. That's yeah. what happens. Let's see. Okay. There you go. This time a little more careful. It's heavier than I am. Um, so this is this has got one body. Oh yeah. Two necks. Ooh. So how do you how do you hold it, or do you spin it around? Uh, <laughs> no, I'm not planning on spinning with this at all. Um, but this is uh, eight string on one side. Yeah. And the other side, it's a five string threadless. So. So do you, do you do you wear it on a strap and you like play in every direction with your arms or 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 is it more of a studio thing where you can flip it over and you know do what you want? Well, I just I just received it a month ago and I was in Los Angeles for a, a month, so I didn't get to try it. I still have to set it up and actually uh, play and see if it sounds any good. Uh, a company sent it to me, so I'm gonna try it out sometime next week after I set it up nice. Uh, set up the action real low because that's how I like it. Um, so it, 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 I can play it easier. Uh, but at the moment, it's like, like, like we all know now, it's super heavy. So I have to find a good strap so it doesn't snap yeah. when I play on stage. But that's I think good. I would use this. Uh... Yeah, go on. Sorry. Yeah. Well, does it smell okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it smells fine. Yeah, it's okay. Well, then fine. it's it, then I it's better than this. mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i would use this uh, i think potentially on a song that uh, has parts that would cater fretless and um fretted yeah. more chordal stuff on the eight string so i can play high anyway not to get more geeky and keeping it very light uh do you have anything for me let's see uh well i've, I've been playing Bass, I played bass on my last album, and I I can't even remember why I started doing this, but I started using flat wounds on everything, and oh, and they're hard. Nice. They seem like it's harder to play. Like I, it's the it's not really, but I don't know. Maybe it gets rid of the squeaks or something. But have have you ever tried flat wounds? And what do what do you yeah. like about them? If you did, I I like them because they are smoother sounding, definitely. Yeah. So I use them on fretless basses more often. Uh, I would not use them on fretted basses, ma mainly because I'm a part of more progressive rock bands, yeah. uh, and uh, flat wounds don't uh, do, do much for that sort of music. 
they they want distortion and more gritty sounds, you know, grungy yeah. sounds and more crush and stuff. So obviously the round one works better, but flat ones when I'm playing ballads or if I'm playing in a jazz setup, then flat ones are great. Yeah. Um, then, then yeah, I'm, I'm playing is... a jazz set uh, next week. Yeah, go on. Sorry. No. Well, then my <laughs> other question latency. is yeah. in in the music that that you like to listen to or that you grew up listening to, which bass player on record is the loudest in the mix? <laughs> oh, I'm gonna be very naughty here and say um, no one. <laughs> Mostly it's guitar players who are loud. <laughs> yeah. to, to me, there, there's yeah, there are some exceptions. Yeah, there are some the, the, ex- the, 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 uh, exceptions. Yeah. The one I always think of—I don't know if I even know his name—but he, there, the, there's a band, Humble Pie, which you know, like it's classic rock, early '70s rock band. Uh-huh. And and the bass player for Humble Pie was, you know, great bass player. But he's just so much louder than everybody else that you can't help but That's kind of rare. go like, "Well, there he is," you know. And it works, you know. You wouldn't, <laughs> you wouldn't want to change anything. But you know, if to yeah. just be inspired by the, the the sheer volume of where he is, where he sits in those mixes. I, I believe you. I, I I don't doubt you. I believe you because I was recording a project with Simon Phillips just a few months ago, and uh, he was sharing some stories where he had his fair share of uh, loudness, bass loudness uh, with, yeah. with some, uh, you know, I'm not going to name, but yeah. few players. And I was like, oh, wow. And you wouldn't think because, you know, I grew up listening to these bass players and guitar players and drummers, uh, seeing them on CDs. You know, my, my dad would put like CDs on DVD players. And I, I grew up uh, seeing all of them on my TV at yeah. that point. So now what about in the recorded music that, that you grew up with? Who's the who's the quietest in the mix? You know, who were like, man, I can barely hear them. You know, it's hard to figure this out. I don't know, a triangle player. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. But uh, let me ask you. So, uh, who is your uh, favorite uh, guitar player uh, from uh, before your generation, and who is your current favorite guitar player at the moment from this time? Well, when I when I first started listening to music, I didn't really know what guitar was because I, I was kind of focused on the on the singing, and mm-hmm. I, I knew what it looked like, you know, because I'd look at pick, you know, the Beatles would be on the cover and they'd be holding guitars, but mm-hmm. you know, if, if you if you listen to those, you know, the '60s recordings, it's like the the vocals are really loud. Next is the tambourine, and then you know somewhere down way down in the mix you know the guitar is tinkering away and then once in a while riff sticks out but overall it's, it's those are vocal albums and so the first time i started to notice guitar was probably like led zeppelin and but even the first, the first zeppelin song i heard I, I was focused on the vocals so it might have been i had i had a 45 that somebody gave me of leslie west i mean the, the band was mountain a song called mississippi queen uh-huh. And, yeah. yeah, it's one of one of the great cowbell intros. You know, the song just starts with donk, 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 donk. <laughs> and then yeah. the guitar comes in, the guitar comes in. Whoa, whoa. You know, it's, it's just this great loud guitar riff, and the solos are great. So that really caught my ear, like, wow, that's 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 a cool sound. And then my uncle uh was a great guitar player, and and he he's like, you gotta listen to Jimi Hendrix. And uh 
and so and he and he made me get this album called War Heroes, which was like you know one of the albums that was put together after Hendrix died, and it was just mm -hmm. sort of like a, a mishmash of you know, you know collection of songs. But I I still love that album. There was an instrumental on it called Midnight, and yeah, and 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 Jimmy was one of those guys where he could be out of tune, and it worked. Like you didn't like it didn't <laughs> you wouldn't want to fix it like it, it just somehow right. it, was, it was almost better and uh, yeah. and so so that that particular song again the guitar is like cranking in the mix and uh, yeah. and it's just this long solo there's no vocals you know and and his tone is amazing and and whoever mixed it uh, did like some post production flanging which is sort of oh, the okay. swirly the swirly sound. Yeah. And a lot of the the players in the '70s that I really liked, whether I mean I, I think that was actually kind of rare that it was post, you know, in the mix. Usually it was a pedal, mm -hmm. um, yeah. but like the you know the stuff that the Hendrix did with the Univibe, or later on players like Robin Trower, Frank Marino, Pat Travers, Alex Life, and they all had like you know flangers or Univibes or you know, right. a shifters. Peter Frampton too had a, like it has the Leslie. Yeah. And so all those players that had that kind of swirly sound, you know, they'd play one note and it would go like, whoa, 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 you know, they'd have, they'd have yeah. this like modulation to it. Right. I, I think that it somehow satisfied the part of me that mm -hmm. would have done drugs. I, I never, <laughs> I never, I, I, I never did drugs. I never wanted to do right. drugs. I always was worried right. that it would mess up my brain, but yeah. but that that feeling of like the world is is swirling and there's like this psychedelic yeah. feeling. I got that from listening to the swirly pedals. <laughs> that the, ah, that so that you must thing, be a can, huge fan, uh, fan of trying out different pedals, right? Different it, it, it gave me that emo that emotion of of you know I hear Frank Marino just like sustaining a chord, and it felt like I yeah. had just done acid, you know. <laughs> <laughs> is there a specific pedal that you see yourself reaching out to more often these days? Well, there, yeah, probably the there's a uh, pedal by Full Tone called the Deja Vibe, which is like a reproduction of the Univibe, and that's ah, that's one of the, that's cool. one of the best ones. But there's a, there's a bunch of pedals that that yeah, you know, I, that I love the Moogerfuger. That's one of my favorite ring modulators. Like it sounds yeah. so cool. <laughs> So yeah, it's it's, that's, it's that's nice really to cool. have that that option to you know to, to to like get that satisfaction emotionally without having to like destroy yeah. your brain with with some chemicals. Yeah, so yeah, a much better choice. So how it. often? Right, right. I mean, after doing so much in the industry, this question, the following question, I think would be something that I would love to ask you: How much time throughout your day are you thinking about music, or are you not? I, I've always thinking about it a lot. Um, it's it's. I think the, the the thing that that's happened to me is that when I was was a kid, I would, I would have it on all the time. You know, it would almost be like a panic. Like I I can't function until some Every music. Every corner. Is yeah. So it would be like you know, wait, we I can't do my homework. I can't you know do whatever it is I'm doing. The, the first gig I got to put a record on on the stereo. Mm -hmm. And and now, you know, I, I actually have really bad hearing loss, 
So it's okay. it's it's uh, I don't really listen to music as much because I can't hear it so well. And if um, if I do listen to music, I have to really focus on it. So I have to like ah, okay now okay. you know I I can't do other things <laughs> like it's it's rare that I'll have music on in the background because I right. I have to focus too much. So I have to rely on the music in my head instead. And I've ah. developed that developed that a lot more the 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 being able to to be aware of that part of me that right. sort of hears music soundlessly, uh -huh. you know, without it being going on in the exterior world. And it's been uh. really, it's, it's actually been really enriching to, 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 to hone that, to, to practice that part where you can, you can hear without sound. And, and you know what it's right. great for? I never need to have a monitor like, like at sound check. I just tell the monitor guy, like, just skip me because <laughs> I really? everything, I'm, everything wow. I'm hearing is internal. I mean, I need to hear the snare and the kick, you know, but, right. you know, I, right. I don't I barely need to hear myself because I, I know what it's supposed to sound like. And I know the instrument. So right. it's it's it, it, it makes it so much easier to play because I don't and in a way I don't need right. to hear it because it's, it's I already know. I know what what it feels like and what it looks and, like and all your. And all your live shows, do, do you have a click running throughout or no? Oh, it's all, all live. No, well, a click would actually be a, a disaster because I would have to hear it. Yeah, that's why I was asking. Because if you're yeah. not using in New Year's, then probably yeah, no and I've, and, I've pro and I've probably lost a lot of hearing from clicks because clicks is like, oh, From dog, the clicks. Dog, you know. I know. Yeah. It's so, so They're, they're dangerous. Yeah. Um, but I, I yeah. do. What I try to do is I try to, I try to be physically close to the drummer. So. Uh, yeah. Right. You know, it's it's the hardest to get situation. the energy close. Yeah. yeah. If it's like a big stage and the drummer's like you know twenty five feet away, that's rough. You know, that, then then I need to have you know a wedge with a kick and snare, cranking out. Um, right. Right. But yeah. but in general, I I love being physically close because then not only do you hear it, but you feel it. And and to feel right, just the right. air moving from the kick and the, you know that that that's I just connect to it so much better that way. So I, I'm always. You know, even if right. it's a big stage, I always ask the you know the, the the people who are setting up the stage, like get me close to the drummer. That that's 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 like how I connect to everything. So, having played all over the world, you must have lots of great stories. How about you share one of the most um, I don't know memorable tour memory? Let's see. Well, I'll, or I'll have to remember. Stage memory. Yeah. <laughs> the first one that comes to me is i mean it's it's been a it's, it's been a while since i've been um you know the, with, with the lockdown and i got i got used to staying home i right. would say one let me like the most recent one was interesting because i i did a, a i did a clinic in, in where i live in, in portland and mm -hmm. uh and i decided i decided to do it without a drummer but 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 i i really try not to play with backing tracks so I just had a bass player, mm -hmm. just guitar and bass. And in a way, the, the we did have something like drums because I, I have a little, I'll show it to you. <laughs> it's embarrassing. It's covered with cat hair. Um, it, it's a, um, <laughs> it's a hockey puck okay. that I have, that I've Velcroed onto a piece of plastic. That's got like those, those things that's, that's yeah, sticking to a carpet and, and you, you plug yeah. it in. And and it's a bass drum, so you you put oh, it on the floor, you cool. put it on the floor, and I and I can stomp on it and keep time with my left foot, 
And so that's the drums. You know, and Analog. it's not Rock. and it's not and it's not like cool drums, you know, it's not like a, a beat with you right. know with a snare and cymbals and you know yeah. something all uh -huh. I can do is you know bonk, 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 but I can keep time mm -hmm. and uh and it's human time, you know, it's not a click, it's not a backing track. <laughs> It's somewhat yeah. dynamic, you know. I, I I can I can be quiet and loud, and uh, you know, and, and we and we played, you know, we worked out the, the songs themselves with some very complex arrangements going on, and and that's right. You know, we kept it all together with that, and so I think as if I was a teenager, that would have just scared me to death. Like, what? There's no drummer, you know. How, how are we gonna rock? You know, because that's such right. a big part of the, of like the the text the texture of rock and roll, is to have that you know the, yeah. the hi hat and, and 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 texture was was a big really important element. Whereas I think that's part of the thing with my hearing loss. I've when since I've lost a lot, of, you know, basically most of my trouble's gone. Mm -hmm. I don't have I, I don't really have that same perception of texture, and so the mm -hmm. the elements that I've got left are like pitch, rhythm, dynamics, and and that's I, I tend to focus more on those. And uh, okay, that was an, an interesting gig, and, and it, I thought it went fine. You know, probably nicer to have, yeah. drummer, but and I, and I you know still prefer to have drummers. But it just to like sort of branch out and go like, what's it? It's possible you can you know you can have other instrumentations, and it's still music, and people still have a good time, and I was still able right. to, you know. I was still able to you know give it my all, and you know it's uh, yeah. I I would I wouldn't have done that as a teenager, but you know that's it, that's nice to like open that door. Yeah, no, I I think you are such a big inspiration and an idol to so many people, and uh, looking at you, so many kids, at least from what I've seen in India, you know, every time they come up to me, I was like. Paul Gilbert is my idol and uh, my biggest influence. Uh, I've had such a big uh, influence on my playing. I grew up listening to Paul Gilbert's videos and stuff. And it's always very overwhelming to hear people and hear kids say that, you know, or, you know, anybody. Um, so for the listeners, and I know like a lot of people know you obviously as the guitar legend, but when you're not doing music, what are you doing? Well, is there something that you like doing apart from music or even better if you were to pursue a profession um then at this point then what would it be if not musician you know yeah, well, that, that'd, be, that'd be hard <laughs> and it's it's, <laughs> it's 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 funny because actually music is probably i don't know it's going to sound crazy but i think music is one of the best professions for someone with hearing loss, which seems very like but that it happened after, right? It, it, yeah, it, it happened, happened it after. Present yeah. at first, but <laughs> but it, like now, if I had to have a job where I understood people speaking, that would be yeah. rough. Uh, and and I, I, that's thing. Like I found because musicians are performers, like I can understand mm -hmm. you because you you are a clear speaker. You you. you you're familiar with like being on stage and having to communicate very clearly right just in general whether it's music or speaking you know in that situation you can't like right. whisper or mumble you know every, every everything has got to be kind of bigger and more obvious as a performer right. and you learn so when i'm amongst yeah. musicians i almost feel like oh i'm fine i don't have hearing loss then i get a, a, you know among like people that aren't performers and i'm like i can't understand right. anybody 
<laughs> like, <laughs> what happened? Like I, I, like I, apart from doing music, I run a clothing line. I design my outfits and I stitch clothes and uh, I do that on the side. A lot of people don't know. Uh, it's a secret, which I just revealed on this podcast, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and, and I love anything, uh, anything uh, related to creativity, art. Like yeah. I literally painted my own walls in the house. So uh, that's like another side of me, uh, which is more to being a musician. So yeah. is there something, do you like painting? Do you like construction? Do you like interiors or you know, I, I remember Simon saying he loves carpentry work. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, I wish I loved yeah. carpentry. Then I, I could fix things when they break. Um, <laughs> but I, I did a lot of drawing when I was a kid, and I still do sometimes. But uh, it, it, it's, it's funny because, like, both uh, drawing and also writing, like, you know, write, writing a story or writing a, a, a um, you know, writing, you know, as in English. Like newsletters? Uh, newsletters or novels well, like recently I, I, I wrote like you, you have to write like oh what's your top favorite albums you know i'll write up like a oh okay know, that, that sort of thing like and a I, survey I realized, like a survey yeah. and, and and i realized that when, when i'm when i'm you know when i'm being myself as a writer i don't really like the process but i like the result like when i read it back i think it's funny and and, and you know I, I like what i've written and it's right. almost the opposite with music with music i love of the process but then i'll listen to it back and go like i'm not always happy with the result but i have so much fun when i'm playing so it and actually yeah. the same thing with drawing like uh, the process of drawing to me is, is like yeah. oh it's, i'm just bored and it takes forever but then when it's done it's like oh i kind of <laughs> like it. it looks kind of cool so uh, I, don't, I don't know why yeah what about guitar making? Do you do you on the side? Because this is like my dad. My dad loves making guitars and basses from like pieces of wood. My my first bass was made by my dad because we oh, were not so cool. financially very strong. So he had a friend who had like a spare pickup and like spare pieces of like wood. So he took them and he, he made a bass for me. And that was yeah. like the tiniest bass in the whole world for me to play <laughs> on at the age of three. And uh, so that kind of stayed with me and I haven't even tried doing it, but it's something in the back of my mind that I would love to try, which is making uh, pieces of, you know, uh, instrument, you know, yeah. is that something that you have done or you do? A little bit. Well, like my, putting pickups on different bodies and putting yeah, that uh, bridge on some other body. You know, I've, I've got a, I've got a soldering iron over there. So, oh, we lost her. I think she'd be back. Yeah, go on, yeah. go on. Oh, so uh, when uh, when I was a kid, the same thing with with my dad. Um, yeah, you know, we would get a lot. Of, it was funny. With like every time I joined a band, it seemed like the drummer would say. Hey, I've got this broken guitar in the closet. Do you want it? And I'd be like, yeah. yeah. So he, you know, he'd give me some bro broken guitar. We'd find some parts real cheap and put it together. And uh, so, you know, I learned how to solder and how to, you know, how how, uh, how to wire up a volume pot and that kind of stuff. So I still do that some sometimes now. And uh, but of course, I also work with the company Ibanez, and so sometimes I'll design stuff on Photoshop, and then and then they'll build it. In the interest of time, I'd like to uh, wind up with one last segment, which is a rapid fire round for, uh, for Paul as well as Mohini. 
It, I'd like oh, both shit. of you to participate. Okay. Uh, and let's see how you guys do. And who fares better. Okay. okay. So when you're unhappy, what is it that gives you, let's use the contemporary jargon, the, the greatest high? For me, uh, if I, I found that if I go to the Van Halen song, Beautiful Girls, and I play the vo- David Lee Ross vocal line, uh-huh. his melody on my guitar, Okay. Just see sides swinging, just smoking and drinking and being sad on top of the world. Oh yeah, you know I immediately start feeling better. Wonderful. That's a great choice again. Uh, speaking of Van Halen, uh, who? I mean, being part of Van Halen, who would be your preferred uh, lead singer? Would it be David Lee Roth or would it be Sammy Hagar? Well. I, I grew up with those David Lee Roth albums. So, I mean, Sammy did a great job, but to me, the, the, the Dave era is just the level of excitement that they created during those times. I was there. I was all the, all the, every tour from Van Halen 2, which was one of my first concerts, all the way up to 1984. I, I saw every show and they were, uh, talk about spiritual. That was, that was, you know, otherworldly. It was so exciting. Uh, coming back to Mohini, uh, when you're unhappy, say for instance, what is it that gives you, let's use the contemporary jargon, the greatest high? What gives me the greatest high? Uh-huh. When you're unhappy. Uh, uh, when, when I'm unhappy, I usually stitch, actually. That's like my therapy. Oh. So, okay. yeah, I stitch, I design, I get to stitching. I make my own outfits and... I wear them on stage and that makes me feel very powerful because I'm in my own oh, outfit yes. feeling like a diva. Yeah. Incredible. I mean, you're into so many things. Is there something that you can't do? <laughs> we'll find out. Yeah. Uh, next question. Uh, you can go first, Paul. What is that one song that always makes you cry? Oh, well, the first one that comes to mind is is "Crying," which is a Roy Orbison song, oh. and the Katie Lang version. Uh, I've I've some she she performed it a lot in her in her set in the '90s, and uh, there's a uh, there's a lot of good bootlegs, high quality bootlegs of her singing that song, and man, to make it through that and that and more recently there's a there's a um, recording, so on YouTube you can find it. Gary Moore. And Scott Gorham, okay, uh, and they do. Um, I don't even know how to pronounce it. It's it's a it's a Thin Lizzy song. Uh, Rosen, something. It's 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 like in an old Irish language. It's basically the the like it's this long song that's on the Black Rose album. It's a okay. Phil Linnet tribute, and the first three notes of the guitar solo, Gary Mo goes. Gary Mo goes. Maybe it's four notes, and he throws his head back. Right when he hits that high note, every time I'm just <laughs> tears are coming out of my eyes. It's so good. So that's Paul Gilbert's version of how to cry, and that <laughs> rock guitar line makes Paul cry. Head thrown back, highest note, yeah. <laughs> perfect. That's hilarious. And you, Mohini? Uh, so I think for me, it's mixed feelings. Um, it also makes me happy, but I also get very emotional when I hear that song. But I will also put it to torture myself because why not? 
Um, it's called Ordinary People by George Benson. And uh, when you uh, hear that guitar solo in the middle section, it's like all the soul and peace and like love right there. But in the start, it's like makes you emotional, you know? So that's, uh, yeah, that's my answer. On the contrary, what is your favorite guilty pleasure song? Paul, you go first. Let's see. Well, there's two kinds of guilt. <laughs> there's, there's guilt that you generally feel if like you know, only you know about it. And then there's stuff that you're afraid that if anybody else finds out, you know, they, they, they won't, <laughs> they'll be, they'll, you know, you'll get in trouble. Um, for myself, well, I remember as, as a kid, I had to hide certain albums mm-hmm. because my dad, my dad was kind of a rock and roll purist. You know, so any any music that was like kind of careful music, like meticulous music, my my I knew my dad wouldn't like that. He wanted like loose, you know, like you know, sweaty music. And so I had a, I had a Carpenters album that I really liked. Oh, okay. You know, it was all the, it was like the Carpenters singles, all the hits. And I'd have to wait yeah. for my dad to leave, and then I would since you know put that album on, listen to it until he came back. Um, and then also like I grew up listening to Ted Nugent. You know, and and you know that that'll get you in trouble these days. But you know, the Great White Buffalo, yeah, that riff, it's it's so chunky. It's just like one of the best chunky moments, and 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 just like the all the stuff he says before the songs, it's just so funny that you know I I still I still have to admit I love that old Ted stuff. You know, that's that was me as a twelve year old. That's funny. Uh, So that would be similar in my situation because my dad is involved too in my upbringing, right? Uh, Because he's my teacher. Uh, So, but he hates metal music and he hates (laughs) rock music. Sorry, Paul. (laughs) But I grew up to like metal and rock music. And I started playing in rock bands. Uh, I toured with the biggest Japanese uh, pop rock band for four and a half months and I unleashed like a different side of me you know and uh, I didn't know like I could I, I I would play with distortion on bass that was the first time this was in 2000 uh I think 18 or 19 that was the first time I used like distortion on bass and I felt so powerful yeah. <laughs> and uh, I was headbanging and I was singing in Japanese and playing my bass uh, and it was a three hours concert I was playing in my six inch high heels and it was <laughs> it was amazing it was like incredible but i came back from the tour and i never played those songs for my dad but i would <laughs> listen to them in secret because he would say like uh you should play something melodious you should you should play with soul all this yeah. this is all fast stuff don't play all this <laughs> you know i'm here i've done like a four and a half months you know, I've been on road and playing all this music and it's a, it, it was hard. Like it was it was the first time that I had to learn everything by heart and like, you know, sing in Japanese and play bass. And it was it was uh, definitely a life changing experience for me. But um, yeah, so even so that I would say like that whole record I, I recorded for their album called Whole Lot of New Love. So that's like one of the albums that I listened to in secret. Uh, and that's like one of my guilty pleasures, I would say. <laughs> and like some of the clients that I record for, uh, recorded for recently, and they are very heavy and technically challenging. And I tell you what, like all the technically challenging stuff, 
it comes to me for some reason. (laughs) (laughs) Then I have to play all these quintuplets and quadruplets on the bass. And yeah, so but but I like listening to them. It, it's it's fun now. But if this was me like four or five years ago, I wouldn't have been able to handle even for like ten minutes. Yeah, marvelous. The two of you had yeah. this uh, opportunity to put together an all-star rock band. Who'd be in it? Oh, Ooh, I, I think what? Paul should go. Yeah. Um, on uh, on vocals, Bon Scott. Guitar, Angus and Malcolm Young. On bass, Cliff Williams. On drums, me. I want to be the drummer of ACDC. Oh, okay. That would be so much fun. Would you like to add? I think uh, for me, it would be, let's see. I think Marco. Marco is a great rock drummer. Um, uh, I would ask Paul if he would be interested. And uh, uh, I would uh, play bass. I've tried drums and I suck at it, so I wouldn't be on drums. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what else? I would have direct Sharanian or, or may- yeah, maybe direct Sharanian and Jordan Drudis together. Yeah, so I can have the textural vibe as well as the fire, you know, together is like, like amazing. So yeah, both of them and two guitar players so yeah whoever paul would love to play with oh my goodness well thank you thank you for including me in the band oh my god no that's like a dream come true what's your favorite hopefully i won't mess it up with too much shred (laughs) no what's your favorite cuisine or favorite what cuisine 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 oh, oh my goodness uh, well, the first thing that comes to mind, I don't know if it's really a cuisine, but it's just a kind of food. Fruit. Every morning, the first thing I do when I get up is I, I squeeze fresh orange juice. Um, any kind of fresh fruit is like my favorite, favorite thing. I was watching a special about, um, like monkeys that eat fruit. I thought, I, th- I think I must be half <laughs> monkey because I, I could just eat fruit all day. This is one of my favorite things. I only eat meat. I don't eat any vegetables. And uh, yeah, so that's like everywhere I go and the whole industry knows about this. And uh, so I I categorize event organizers as non-vegetarian event, event organizers and vegetarian event organizers uh, because there was this one time, this was like way early in my uh, uh, early playing days. And uh, I was put up in a vegetarian hotel and that was a disaster because <laughs> I couldn't eat anything. <laughs> it's almost like I'm allergic to it. It's not like I don't want to eat it. I eat and I puke. So I can't eat it. So it's, uh, so then the organizer had to uh, take me to a restaurant nearby. And I said, I literally won't be able to do the show because all my energy comes from meat. So my yeah. album is called Meat Eater, which is coming out this year. Oh, wow. Is there, is, is there, I mean, there's the usual kind, there's beef and chicken and, and pork and lamb, but is there any kind of other animal that, that is really delicious or incredible that is, is that, that you've discovered? Uh, so I love beef. We don't get that in this part of the world. 
Uh, but whenever I go to the U.S., I, I, I love having a steak. I, I eat steak almost every day when I'm there, which is not great, but, but I love it. It's, it's like, it's so good. I also love seafood. Um, but, uh, I love pork as well. We get that here. So that's, I make pork momos kind of like dumplings. Uh, we call yeah. them momos here. Um, so I make them at home. I love cooking and I love eating. So <laughs> I will cook and eat at home. And, uh, I-, I have to say though, like Indian food is like, it's, it's, it's culturally so diverse. It's like yeah. a wide range of it's not just the masala. It's like so many different masalas and so many different like uh, languages and every city has its own taste, you know? So that's one thing about being in India. You get to try something different and new every day. Yeah. Yeah. What has been the most embarrassing moment on stage for the two of y'all? Let's see. Well, I mean, there was. Let me let me get the prop. <laughs> so this is this is your normal, your normal drill. Oh yeah, I know and this. I, and I I take the uh, take the drill bit out. I've got a different one that has guitar picks on the end, right. and you, you you put that in. And then you you can you can play guitar really fast, really fast. Yeah, yeah. that looks cool. And, and 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 so I used to do that in my guitar solo all the time. And one day, I, I like I was you know I was about to do it, and I I wanted to do that thing where you put your your hand like, hey audience, I'm you're, I'm listening. Make some noise, you know. I I can't hear you. Make some noise. But I had the drill in my hand, and it was going. And I had really long hair. And so it went, Nyeh! and it got caught in my hair. And and I couldn't I couldn't let go because it would pull my hair and it hurt. Oh, so I had, you know, I was trying to get it out. And the guitar is hanging, going, Whoa! you know, feeding back. Oh. And it was, it was about 10,000 people in the audience because we were opening up for Rush. You know, it was a big arena. Oh. And so I'm just going like, what? What am I doing right now? Like this is that's funny. This is like Spinal Tap, you know. And so finally, I went back. You could slowly unwind it, but that was that was pretty. uh, Wow. I wish. I actually, I wish that it had been like that was before the days of cell phone cameras, so nobody you know got any film of it. But that that would have been an amazing thing to have have documented on video. (laughs) Yeah, I have multiple embarrassing stories on stage. First one being, um, I had to, I was wearing this big ball gown, a big blue ball gown. And this is in front of like 70,000 people or so. <laughs> and this was an AI Rahman show. And I was given a feature spot to come in the center of the stage and do my solo, just myself. And uh, this is a three hour concert where we're playing like some of the biggest hit songs and the the music director has given me like one spot to just come and play for like five minutes just by myself. And uh, there, there are cues that are happening like four, three, two, one, go Mohini. So then I take my position and then the spotlight yeah. comes on and then I play. Guess what? I'm walking down the staircase. So I was on a riser. Every musician has its own riser for this show and I'm on a riser and I walk down the staircase 
and my ball gown gets stuck on one of the nails on the staircase. Oh. And so I'm trying to pull my dress, trying <laughs> to like, I'm like, at this point, even if it rips, I don't care. I need to get to my position, but yeah. it's a huge <laughs> stage. So I'm trying to rip my dress. At some point, I'm able to do it. But by that time, the 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 director was like, okay, next song. Oh, no. <laughs> they put the spotlight on and nobody's there. So they turn it off. <laughs> next song. So then the next song, I couldn't go back to my spot and I had to play the next song from the staircase. Yeah. <laughs> and that was hilarious. It was really uh... funny. And the second one was related to hair. I loved chewing a gum back then. I had big curly hair. And I, I love playing with hair. I do crochet braids and a lot of different yeah. ki- lots of different kinds of hair. So sometimes I have those extensions. And at that point, I have had those extensions and I was chewing a gum. And while playing, one of my curly strands went in my mouth and the gum got uh, stuck in my hair. Uh, and we had these GoPros and all these cameras in front of me. Uh, and they showed me on like the screen and everybody's like, what is that white thing hanging on our hair? You uh, know? So that was really funny. Yeah. Well, you know, funny stories. It happened. I have yeah. one last question for the two of you, uh, which is a custom in all of my podcasts. Shall we say, uh, down in the distant horizon, what would you want to be remembered as? Mm, deep. Well, it's 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 amazing to be in a position where you might be remembered at all. Um, but I, I think at the moment, I've just I, you know I've been able to accomplish certain things like memorable guitar moments but the the one thing that I, that I still don't think i've done that i'd like to would be like just one really great blues solo that that people who like blues solos would like okay you know in other mm-hmm. words that's you know that that goes beyond the, like the 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 people who, who are metal fans but somebody who's like into bb king would hear it and they'd go like ah oh, that's cool you know so so it's sort of like being able to speak the language fluently to the people who speak that language? Mm. I think for me, the answer is very simple because uh, music is something that is always going to stay in my life. And um, with all the things that I've done so far, me being 18 and a half years in the industry, worked with so many amazing, incredible musicians from all over the world. It's uh, I'm really grateful for it. It's not something that I ever dreamt of. It's not something that I wanted to do, you know. Uh, it just all kind of happened, and I challenged myself and uh, worked hard and uh, kept moving forward in life. Uh, my dreams were very simple. I wanted to own a house. I wanted to uh, have my freedom, make my own decisions in life, and uh, not didn't want to be told by or controlled by anyone. I wanted to control myself. And at this point, the position that I'm in, I am all of it. You know, I'm able to make my decisions myself and I run a business. I am my own manager. I manage a lot of bands. I organize events. I work for a lot of companies as well. I do music because it makes me happy, uh, not something because I need to do. Uh, So I think when or if I'm ever gone, 
uh, I want to be remembered as somebody who was just a good person and somebody who supported them and um, helped them in any sort of way, you know, because I'm a giver. I, I when I see a potential talent or when I see something or something that needs to be done, I go all I go all out and I try to help and make way for that person because the position that I am uh, I, I'm holding, I can do that. And so I try to pass on the power, you know, as much as I can. So when I'm gone, all the people by that time that I would have worked with, I just want them to remember me and hopefully think that I was a great human being and it was a joy to work with me. That's all, you know? Yeah. Ah, marvelous. Great, great answer for a closure. This interview will be additionally aired on Big FM, Shillong and Azol. Uh, two radio stations in the northeastern part of India, and also part of my uh, podcast series, Stalwarts of Music. Uh, we are on season two right now, and uh, it will also be in YouTube on my channel in an audio-video format and uh, across all major audio streaming platforms. Thank you so much, Paul and Mohini. The two of you have touched me deeply indeed. Thank you so much for taking time out. and uh, Thank you for having me. Oh, it's been an in- nice incredible blessing. Yeah, yeah. Stay nice in touch. Nice to talk to you, Paul. Right on. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Thank you.